90s footy fans, welcome to episode 72 of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we catch up with former Richmond and Brisbane midfielder Craig Lambert. Craig, a dandelion football product, made his VFL debut with Richmond in 1988. The left footer and elite handballer spent six seasons at Punt Road, playing 123 games before moving up north. In 1994, Craig made his way to the Brisbane Bears and was an inaugural member of the Brisbane Lions squad, playing a further 96 games. In this episode, Craig talks about his early years at the Tigers, winning a Jack Dyer medal, lining up against the game's best midfielders, his move to Brisbane and being a part of the Brisbane Lions coaching panel during the club's superior reign during 2001 and 2003. I hope you enjoy the 72nd member of the 90s Club Footy Podcast, Craig Lambert. Craig Lambert, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Really excited to have you on, mate, and looking forward to reflecting on your journey in the VFL AFL. Thanks, Trent. Um, really looking forward to the, the chat. Um, always great about talking about the Tigers. You know, club that gave me my first opportunity, um, and a little 5 for 11 Dandy boy, um, probably wasn't the greatest kick of all times and got told I was a bit too slow, but at any time I can talk uh, about a Richmond Football Club, we gave me an opportunity, I'm quite quite happy and, you know, it was a great time in my life. Before we get into the footy chat, Lambo, what are you doing with yourself currently? I know you're one of those guys that have been involved with footy for such a long time. Have you still got that footy involvement employment-wise or are you doing something different at the moment? Uh, Trent, I'm, I'm actually out of footy and um, I'm sort of... Happy to be out of footy. I sort of we've got our first grandson who's eight months years, eight months old, and um, you know uh, I work for a company called BMD Group. Um, they're the largest um, privately owned civil construction company in Australia. Um, an amazing company. Um, I work in uh, employee engagement and retention, so it's very similar to what I did with um, obviously Brisbane Lions and the back end of my career there after coaching. But but really, what we did at GWS Giants, my wife and I, in regards to just creating a really good culture. Um, BMD have an amazing culture. Um, Forty-five years old, um, incredible leadership, um, and we're just trying to help evolve that leadership and that employee engagement, and really not just look at the employee, but help look at the family unit. Um, so we can just because retention's been you know, for myself, and my wife, it was in that retention space for the last probably twenty years at Brisbane. And the Giants, you know, you, you only think it's probably a sporting thing in regards to retaining top-end talent, but you get into the corporate world and um, they're having more problems than anyone in regards to, one, attracting talent, but also retaining top-end talent. So you know, I feel really privileged to be working for B&D Group. Um, uh, they're owned by the Power family, um, Mick Power and Denise, and I know them really well, Mick's on the on the board of Brisbane Lions. Um so, yeah, I've been there for about seven months now and actually having a ball. And, and who would have thought that these things called weekends, um, that, that you, on, on Saturday, Sunday, you just go and do whatever you want, <laughs> you know, chill out with your own kids and all that. You don't have to worry about other people's kids and all the stresses in their lives and their family lives and all that. So um, I, we had a good run at um, football and um, we're looking forward to the next chapter in our lives. How did you find your way to the Richmond Footy Club, mate? That's where you started. How did you get to the Tigers? Yeah, it's sort of like it's a, it was a long journey, really. I mean, I um, obviously played for North Dandy Juniors all my uh, junior football. And, um, you know, like as a 16, 17-year-old, you know, I've got a brother who's four years older than me. And um, obviously we all loved our AFL. My, my father, Billy Lambert, who passed away after my first year at the Tigers, actually the of a brain aneurysm. We were Mount Carlton supporters. We used to go to every Carlton game and 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 Dad lived for one of us or both of us to play AFL footy or VFL footy back then. And um, I mean, once I finished um, juniors, I, I, I played one year at, um, at Danong in the VFL uh, for the Red Leafs and I was a 17-year-old. Um, I tried out at the Swans um, in the under-19s. Uh, and Dennis Clark was a coach back then, but I was like, I would have been 
geez, I would have been 70 kilos dripping wet and you're up against. So I remember playing against Richmond. Um, they beat us by 140 points and I was half forward and I was playing on the hoggy, Jeff Hogg, great mate of mine. And, um, and I'm looking at this giant who he just, I reckon I touched it four times and I, I just thought, how on earth am I ever going to play VFL footy, let alone under 19? So I played nine games. I think that would have been 1986. Um, went back in 87. Um, sorry, it was 85. Um, went back in 86. Um, played a full year for Danimal in the in seniors. Um, come second in the best and fairest. Had a really good year. Uh, got an offer to go down to the under 19s. Um, at Richmond, um, jumped at that, uh, and was lucky enough to meet a guy called Doug Searle, who, you know, you, you know, you look back at people that sort of shape your lives, and obviously my mum and my dad and some key figures in that. But, um, I mean, Doug Searle uh, was, was really the one who probably said to me, you know, back in 87, we made a grand final. We got beat by five points by North Melbourne that year in the under-19s, but he was the one that said, you know, I, I probably haven't seen a player win the ball as as good as what you win the ball in regards to contested footy and that. He said, but if you don't learn to be an elite handballer, he goes, I think you'll have a, a good career, but you won't have the career that you should have. Um, so I really worked hard that year on my craft and my, my handball. I, I liked handballing, but not to the extent that I did when I got to the AFL. Um, and that year we had a really successful year. We had Tony Free, we had Trent Nichols, um, you know, uh, Paul Barlow, who played a lot of... Um, VFL, we played a few senior games, um, and we played North Melbourne, who um, were undefeated, and we got rolled by five points in the grand final. Uh, and uh, but Doug Searle, you know, you talk about a guy that actually, you know, just showed you the way. Um, I was always a guy that I'd like to think really worked hard, but he was a he was a mastermind behind me, you know, making sure that I was a handballer first, and then was able to use the kick as a secondary option. Mate, what was it like? You know, obviously you got that chance at senior level with the Richmond Football Club. What was it like walking through the doors and you know having that very first training runs? And you're running alongside you know, Disco Roach, Dale Waitman, Mike Mitchell, Jimmy Jess, Mark Lee, some really strong Richmond names. That first sort of major senior preseason. That was that sort of a little bit, you know, daunting and nerve wracking for a young guy, you know, from Dandenong. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I. I just idolised Dale Waitman. I said, sort of like, you know, and then Mark Lee. And I remember the 1980 grand final, like, you know, sort of, you know, was a, was a massive footy head. I mean, I'd watch any game that was on television, you know, obviously went to Carlton games and all that. But to walk into a senior dressing room with, you know, Disco Roach, who was just one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life, you know, Jimmy Jess, you know, you just want to cuddle with them. I just, they were just, they were so welcoming. You know, I was 18, 19 years of age. I'd had a really good year. Um, and won the BNF in the under-19s and was really looking forward to that 88 pre-season to really just earn some respect and build some relationships. But you walk through the corridors of Punt Road and you've got those premiership sides of 60s and 70s and 80s and it's it's just unbelievable. And, um, you know, to, to, to go to a, a club like Richmond, even though I was a, a tragic Carlton supporter up until then, to see all the history in the hallways and the, and just the people that have made the club um, before I got there was was something I'll never forget. Um, you know, and it was just, you know, I, I was probably lucky that I built up a really good relationship with Dale Waitman, who, um, you know, I was lucky enough to play some state footy with as well. And I was always a, a high stressor, high anxiety, you know, fear of failure. And, you know, it was, it was, it was probably Flea was the one who actually instilled the confidence in me, other, you know, other than Doug Searle, obviously. Um, that I was good enough to play. Um, and then when you've got a superstar like Dale Waitman who really believes you, that you're good enough at that level, it just sort of helps you when you have those rough times when you're self-doubting. And, mate, that first season, uh, when I was looking at your stats the other night, 21 games in your first year. So you adapted the level pretty quickly. So obviously having maybe that, the, the VFA, I should say, maybe behind you, that sort of helped you along the way with that under-19 experience as well to adjust to the, the level pretty quickly. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, it was said like, I mean, I you know, playing that full year of seniors in, in the, in the VA, VFA, which, as you knew back then, I mean, I remember playing on, um, who was he, the, the, the Coburg with the big beard. Was it Cleary? Phil Cleary? Oh, uh, yep, yep. Um, I, mean, I was 17, and all, all he wanted to do was bash the shit out of me all day. 
I mean, I'm uh, lucky that a couple of dandy boys could fight because I couldn't bruise a grape, right? <laughs> but, I mean, you're playing against some of these guys that are 33, 34, and literally back in those days, and I'm talking through the, you know, 86 year, but they literally try and kill you, you know, in the VFA. And um, obviously you have to really work for every ball you got. And I was, a, I was probably 70 kilos, kilos back then. And it really did help me because it helped me go back. And obviously I went to under-19s after that and had a really, really good year had that sort of mentoring from Doug Searle. But, it, but then when I went into seniors, you know, it, it, it sort of just it, it gave me a little bit of a taste of, 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 of the size, you know, the, the, the hits that I was going to get. Nothing can ever, ever sort of brace you for how quick the game of VFL-AFL is. I mean, like, no disrespect to VFA, but it was like it was, it was in slow motion when I played my first game against Melbourne in 88. Um, and Rod Grinter hit me. I thought I had an extra second actually <laughs> release the ball when he hit me. And I thought every bone in my body just crushed. So um, it does help you. It does help you in regards to playing against men. But the speed of, um, of VFL, AFL is just uh, something that you, you think, you, you know, people try and tell you about it. But until you've played it, it's just, um, uh, it, it's, it's fairly quick, yeah. Good pick up by Waitman. He walks the hand pass, waits. Picks the best option to Bond. Bond's hand pass is good to Nash. 60 metres out, no distance. Lambert, he can goal from there. Left footer, right to the goal square. That's a three for goal. The Tigers had some tough seasons in regards to ladder positions. In your early years, I was going through them the other night and, and having a look. Can you sort of pinpoint what it made it hard for the Tigers to take the next step? Because when I look at your list, you had some great players on there, mate. Yeah, we always, you know, we, we did. And I mean, I, I forgot Kevin Barber before. I mean, KB was one that sort of really wanted to give the young guys an opportunity in 88. And I was, you know, Justin Pickering, myself, Tony Free, Nida came a year after. You know, I think Wayne Campbell came in 89, maybe 90. But, but KB was a really, you know, he doesn't get enough credit as he should. But as you know, there was a lot of politics at the Richmond Football Club. There was always the threat of, you know, are we going to sack the coach because we've only won four or five games? We, we did have some really good talent, um, some younger talent. But the guys like um, Jimmy Jess and Disco and, you know, like, and even Flea, Flea had a couple of really good years with us. So that, that senior level, they were probably coming to the end where they were getting injured. We, we didn't have anyone in between. Um, so I reckon, like, we did have some really good talent, younger talent coming through. Our, our older guys who I thought were really good at sort of supporting um, you know, us young guys and all that, but they were, they were coming to the end. I just didn't think we had that middle group probably to take us through, you know, to get us that extra five, six wins that we needed to play finals. And there was always, unfortunately, in my time at Richmond, the seven years I was there, was, there was always um, club issues that were going on. You know, there, was all, there, there wasn't the harmony you need. And obviously, we'll talk about Brisbane later, and they had their issues. But when they got that harmony right and they got the talent right, well, that's when the magic happened. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, I said, oh, I love my time at Richmond. It was, it was incredible. I mean, I didn't want to leave. And hopefully, we get to that later when we talk to some of our Richmond viewers. But for anyone out there who thinks that I chose to leave, we'll, we'll talk about that hopefully in the next, um, next, the next chapter. 1991, uh, you got the best and fairest award, the Jack Dye medal, three years in, and you obviously you've uh, you've got the league, the club best and fairest. From a player's point of view, how much did you celebrate that award? Because I guess we play football for the team success, but when you win these things along the way, how do you sort of celebrate it? Do you really appreciate it, or is it just sort of yeah, I've won it, but I'd rather that team success? No, no, no I celebrated that because I'm mean, obviously that first year, 88, I finished fourth. And obviously, I'm learning the history of the, the Richmond Football Club. I mean, I follow Carlton my whole life. So, um, finished fourth. Um, unfortunately, I thought my, my, my dad passed away of an aneurysm at the age of 44, which you know, was really hard. Um, but the great thing about it, he actually got to see that first year and to get tears in his eyes at Punt Road when I was receiving the Jack Titus medal for finishing fourth in the club champion, which is something pretty special to me. And then the following year in 89, I actually... I was actually leading the Jack Dye medal by, geez, a, a, a lot of votes. Um, and that was when I played the first state game um, over in WA against Western Australia. 
Um, and before that, I was just running around Trent, you know, just getting kicks and no one even knew who I was. And I'm thinking, how cool is this? You know, you, as long as you work hard and you get to the contest, you get the footy, eh? Yeah. Well, that's after that, for the next 12 rounds, I just got tagged and tagged and tagged and tagged. And I just I just didn't know what to do. And, like, I remember uh, going up to Dale Waitman, who said was a great influence on my career, and I said, please, man, I'm just struggling. And these guys are all over me. You know, like heard from from Essendon and you know, all, all these really good, you know, really great tags. Back then, they get away with a fair bit, and, and all Fleece said to me, "Goes, man, but it's really easy, mate. If they, if they hold you, just knock them straight out, smack, punch them straight in the head, and knock them out." And I said, said Fleece, I can't do that, mate. That might you might be able to do that, but I can't do that at 20 years." He said, "Well, if you can't do that, you're going to be in a lot of strife for the next 10 years of your career." Um, so the back end of um, uh, 89, I started to feel like I'd, I'd won a couple of battles in the tags. And I remember going to the best and fairest, you know, and the Jack Dye medal, everyone, Jack Dye is so, such a legend of a footy club. And I remember Flea saying to me, get ready for your first Jack Dye medal. And I'm I'm in front at half time, unbackable, right, where you're thinking, like, geez, it'd be, it'd be half for me to lose this. And uh, the great, my great mate Tony Free, who had a fantastic year that year, he kept coming and coming. And while I was getting tagged and not getting votes, he kept coming and coming. And it got to the last couple of rounds. I think I thought, gee, I might be able to hang on here. I'm hoping I can hang on. And I think Freezer got me like about by about three or four votes, which is nothing. But and he and he had a fantastic year. And um, so I, I was runners up that year and I'm thinking, she's so close, you know, even though it is a team sport, we ought to have be a Jack Dyer medalist. And then 91, everything just flowed. You know, I was, I was stronger mentally, physically. I could deal with tags and, um, you know, I had a much more consistent year and, and actually won the Jack Dyer medal, which, which means a lot to me. I mean, it's sort of, I'd love to have two, um, one, two, but, um, but to, to, to be a Jack Dyer medalist, um, it means a lot to me. It's sort of, you know, it's probably, you know, I won one up here when I got up here in 94 in Brisbane. Um, but to be known as a Jack Dyer medal is, is pretty special. Now, mate, you only spent another two seasons at Punt Road after the 91 season. You left at the end of 1993. What prompted the move? And obviously, you sort of alluded to it a little bit before. And was Brisbane the likely landing spot for you or were there some other clubs interested? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was there some interest from Fitzroy and and obviously with the trade with Broderick and Gale and these sort of players involved? Were you mentioned in that as well? Yeah, well, Brisbane were the last club that I thought was even slightly interested. I mean, I... I mean, and I'll put this on record, is that, you know, like, in, at the end of 92, I got a call from Kevin Sheedy, um, and I thought it was one of my dandy mates taking the piss out of me, right? And, and it was actually Kevin Sheedy. Um, and I, so I had to apologise to Sheeds when I said, good on your mate, who's this? And it was, it was Kevin. Um, and, and Sheeds wanted to have lunch because he wanted me to go to the Bombers. And that was for the 93 season. And um, I had lunch with him, Roger Hampson. Um, at a, at a restaurant in, in Melbourne. Um, he had a clipboard uh, of his team and he had the team, the Baby Bombers, and he had me as Rock Rover um, and wanted to pay me twice as much as what I was getting paid at Richmond. Um, and, you know, I'd like to think I'm a really loyal person. Um, and I went back and spoke to my mum, spoke to my wife, um, who was my fiancée back then, and told him to spoke to my brother and... Said, listen, I can get an extra thirty thousand and go to Essendon. You know, I know they're rivals and all that. Um, but in the end, you know, Richmond had given me an opportunity. Um, I went to, you know, a, a GM of footy and I, I told them the scenario. Um, they, I think, they came up by about twenty thousand because I wasn't getting paid a lot after winning a best and fairest. Trent, don't worry about that. They didn't, they didn't pay you well back at the Tigers back then. I can tell you right now. Um, so. I stayed, you know, I was comfortable in staying and played that 93 year. wasn't a great year for me. I think I might have come eighth or ninth in the club champion. We didn't have a good year. At the end of 90, obviously, Essendon win the grand final. I'm watching him win the grand final and um, thinking, well, that could have been me, but no, I made my choice. Let's, um, let's just keep moving along with Richmond and see, you know, obviously we, we had some great young talent coming through. And, and then at the end of the year, I, I heard the rumours of, you know, brothers and um, I forget who. I don't know whether it was Gail. 
I, I know there was two or three, and there was myself and Jeff Hogg in this deal. Um, and you know, back then there was a lot of um, well, there's a lot of managers that leak stuff to try and get you offside with your club. So I didn't really think after having one bad year um, out of five or six that the club would be looking to shift me. Um, so in the end, I, I had to, because I heard it so often, I, I, I just had to um, go up and talk to Cameron Swalman. I said to Cameron, I said, Cameron, are you, are you really looking to offload myself with Hoggy to Fitzroy? Um, and he said, well, would you be interested in, in leaving? And I said, excuse my language, I said, how, how's get fuck sound? Um, and, I, and I was really sort of, I was really upset. I went home and I was, because um, the, club, the club knew that I had the chance to go to Essen the year before. Yep. Um, and after, and the, the club has to do the best for the club. I totally get that. We're in a, we're in a, it's, we say that more and more now, but I thought after one year, um, you know, and, and it wasn't a terrible year. It wasn't the greatest year that I thought that they would have shown me a little bit of loyalty, but they were, they were that's it, trying to get me to Fitzroy with Hobby for that deal they thought was better for the club. And I'm a, I'm a dandy boy through and through, so I'm an eye for an eye. You, once you lose my trust, you, you lose it for life. And um, I got a call the next day from North Melbourne, you know, from Dennis Pagan, Kerry Good, and all the power brokers there that we want Craig Lambert at North Melbourne. And uh, I'm a Melbourne boy, never wanted to leave Melbourne. And my wife's in Melbourne, got my brother and my mum. So we did everything in our powers to try and obviously you remember that there was a, you know, for me to get to North, they'd finish sixth that year with draft, yep. you know, I had to put a really large price on my head yep. to try and scare everyone else off, right, to just try and say, well, he's not worth that. Um, and literally I thought, there's not a chance in the world that I'm not going to North Melbourne. I've got I've got Kerry ringing me up. I've got I've got Dennis. I've got Anthony Stevens, who's you know one of my great combative you know if I you know one of my most respected opponents I've ever played on. You know I've got saying we can't wait to have you here at North Melbourne. Um, so I think I'm just sailing through to to North. No one else is paying the money right, to tap me, right? And um, the the only Probably Sydney Swans were the one that said, listen, we don't care what you put on your head. Um, we're going to pick you up. And they picked three or picked four. So I'm there. I remember back then, back in um, those days, it was a March draft, a pre-season draft. So you have to, tra- to train by yourself. Right? So I was training with um, my great mentor, Ray Giles, boxing coach, and getting myself super fit. So whatever team I could do, which was North, hopefully, I'll be flying fit and I could prove which were wrong. And... Um, I remember sitting in a cafe at Bridge Road with uh, Barry Young, who was leaving the, the club also that year, and you know it was on the radio. That's, I'm showing my age now. And, um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, they said Barry Young's going to Essendon, so Baz, Baz is doing cartwheels, right? He's, he goes, but there's been a massive shock in the March draft, and I'm thinking, oh shit, where the hell am I going? <laughs> no, this doesn't sound good. And next, next it says, and, uh, and the big shock is Craig Lambert will be going to Brisbane Bears. Um, and I had a sandwich. I dropped the sandwich. Barry, Barry Baz is going to the OK Lambo. I said, I couldn't speak. I had my manager ring me up and he said, now, listen, there's going to be a camera crew that's going to be coming to Bridge Road now. Now, I need you to be really, really positive. And I said, you want me to be positive? Right? I'm, a, I'm fair skin. I wear a long sleeve jumper. I'm going to Brisbane Bears, who <laughs> undoubtedly were the worst team in the competition by a mile back then, right? It's an average of 35 degree heat with 90% humidity, and you want me to be happy. You want me to be happy that I'm going to, he goes, I need you to be happy and excited. And as you do, you put the uh, the game face on and um, spoke to the reporters. And next I know, my wife and I, probably about four days later, were on a plane to Brisbane. So Brisbane were the last club I thought that were going to get me. Um, and to all your viewers out there, your Tiger viewers, trust me, um, I never wanted to leave Richmond, um, you know, even to the point uh, Freezer come and grabbed me before we had to lodge your paperwork, Tony Free, who was captain at the time, and went to the club about coming back. Um, and by that time, there'd sort of been too much things that had happened. Yep. Um, but it is. It's, I look back and obviously I'd like to think I had a really good career 
at Brisbane. But ideally, I would be a one, you know, one one team player. Um, but that's the true story of Craig Lambert leaving Richmond. Um, and I swear to everyone here uh, on the podcast that I uh, it wasn't my initiative to to, to leave the club. Uh, but once they broke the trust, it was uh, it was over. So what were your first impressions of Brisbane when you arrived, mate? You spoke about, you know, obviously the humidity, the heat. And, I mean, obviously, I can always remember you being a long sleeve. Or, um, how did you feel when you got up there and what was your first impressions? It wasn't great. Um, I mean, I, I had a really good, I had a great relationship with Robert Walls. He's one of the great coaches I've, I've played under. I only had two years with Wallsy, but he was um, incredibly smart. Um, could be quite brutal. I mean, we would have heard all the stories about Wolsey and some of his training sessions and all that. But him and I had a great relationship and he taught me a lot and um, he asked a lot of me in regards to helping teach the Michael Bosses of the world and the Ackermanuses and um, and all these younger players that we had on the list, you know, just about how to work hard um, and be professional in the game. So I rocked up obviously two weeks before um, round one, and I remember walking into the gym. Honestly, it's sort of like it's crazy. And I remember there was, yeah, back then you had this size of 60, 60 players, and I remember there was sixty set of eyes just staring me down because of the money that I was on. Right? Yeah. I remember the money that I was on was to try and scare everyone off. Right? <laughs> so, so I'm walking into a club I don't want to be at. Right? I remember. Dion Scott and Paul Pios, they were literally arms crossed and they were staring me down. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I cannot believe I'm at Brisbane Bears. I'm, I'm, I'm just shaking me. I'm, I'm sitting on the bench press before Wolves is about to talk. And one of the most respected players and one of my great best friends in footy is Michael Magic McLean. He's, him and his wife Linda are godparents to our, um, our daughter. Uh, and I remember... Magic was started to walk over to me after I'm getting stared at by everyone. So I'm thinking the one bloke that I love in this room, the one bloke I respect, now he's going to come over and give me the greatest bake you've ever seen. <laughs> Walks over, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and he and Magic is such an affectionate, beautiful person. I remember him walking over, and I got up, I'm thinking, where, and, he, and he came over and gave me a hug and kissed me on the cheek. And he said, brother, I know it's tough at the moment. I know you're feeling like you don't want to be here. I said, mate, he said, but you'll settle into this club. You're exactly what we need. And he said, you'll be one of the great players to, to take us forward. And I just, I, it was just, I just needed the time. It just made me feel welcome. Um, uh, so, yeah, early on I was starting to think, Jesus Christ, but then Majo came over and saved me. So, Craig, your first two seasons at the Brisbane Bears were unbelievable. Best and fairest win in 1994. Then you played in your first ever final in 1995. How special was that moment for you, obviously being in the system for several seasons and you got a chance to finally play some finals footy? Yeah, it was pretty special. You know, to come to a club that was so, um, so young with talent. You know, I remember like, you know, when I arrived in 94, you had Chris Scott, he was pick 11. You had Nigel Lappin, pick two. Um, obviously, you had... You know, Vossa was always going to be something pretty special. You had Lepper, you had Ackermanner, she had Daryl White. Um, so, you know, I got here with um, Andrew Hughes and um, Gilbert McAdam and um, Starsevich and, and Alistair Lynch, obviously, Lynchy on the 10 on the year deal and all that. And Lynch is a good mate of mine. And, um, you know, to be able to have a really good year at a, at a new club, and obviously, I told you the story how hard it was early in regards to, you know, there was a, there was a, a culture at that football club. Um, that Robert Walls really wanted to get out, and that was some of our senior players were there probably for the wrong reason. They they really, you know, they probably just wanted to take their money um, and just enjoy the Brisbane lifestyle um, instead of doing what they should do and what every senior player should do is help young players become better. Um, and Walls, he drilled that into us. And, you know, you know, I just remember, you know, I said before about how close I'm to Magic Clean. He's like a brother to me and, I think Andrew Hughes gets left behind in regards to, you know, just one, he was a great player, but a great human being that actually came to that club to build on that culture of those young players that were coming through and eventually do something quite special to get the three premierships, win the three and unfortunately get beat in the fourth one. But for me personally, to be able to, to win the BNF in the first year, 
um, you know, it was just a, a bit of satisfaction. And, and to be brutally honest, it was it was great to be able to stick it up a few people at Richmond in regards to trying trying to trade me. Um, because as I said before, I mean, I felt like you know I gave great service to, to the Richmond Football Club. Um, you know, so to go there in '94 to win a BNF. Um, 95, I broke my leg twice, unfortunately, and um, I played the last 12, 11, 11 rounds and obviously played against Carlton in that when it was 1v8. Um, you know, I, you know, I had a really good game in the first final. I had 37, 38 touches and I, we were level at three-quarter time and we sort of, we were just a young squad that just didn't know how to win at that stage and, and obviously Kuda Thedi's put on an absolute clinic in that um, last quarter. I think he hit three goals and we lost by I think it was 14 points, but we we ran Carlton the closest than that, that anyone did in '95, mm. and then '96 was a year that I, I made all Australian. Um, I think we finished second on the ladder. Um, played in the prelim. Unfortunately, the side that I actually thought I was going to go to North Melbourne, I played in two prelims in my life, and that was '96 and '99. And who knocked us off? North Melbourne. Who won the <laughs> grand finals? North Melbourne. But but you're right. I mean, to be able to to be able to get to a club, you know, especially. In a March draft, where there was a lot of hype in regards to what I was earning, um, to earn the respect of the right people, the coaching and the right players, and have success, um, it was quite rewarding because you know that's why I've got so much empathy for young kids who have to leave home, you know, to, to, to follow their dream. I was 25, and it was still really tough for me. And I just got engaged with my, my wife, now Melissa. Uh, it still was really hard as a 25 year old, but to be able to produce. Um, you know, that was pretty special and then to feel like the club was heading in the right direction. Lynch plays on, wide of the mark, sets it up, down towards Clark, in front, knocked down by Harding, roving the pack, it's grabbed by Lambert, Bacon goal square, this will run on, it's a goal. The Bears in front. Statistically, your numbers were outstanding at the Brisbane Lions and the Brisbane Bears. Where do you feel that you were the better player? Were you a better player at Richmond or do you think we saw the best of Craig Lambert at Brisbane? Well, yeah, I, I think it was it was definitely you know, at Richmond. It was it was harder because you know I mean I, I just wish Flea had been like two or three years younger because I would have tagged him in the first three or four years. <laughs> me. Like, you know, when you when you're getting tagged every week, um, you're 19, 20 years of age, and you're a side that's losing, and you're only winning four, five, six games for the years. Um, and I'm talking back to late 80s and early 90s. You get tagged as you literally that they half mug you, right? So it's and so I, I think like it was really hard. I thought I had some really good footy at Richmond. Um, obviously won that Jack Dyer medal, and, and I don't know, I come second one year and fourth one year and fifth another. Um, but I think the Brisbane Lions era from '94, '95, '96, '97. You know, I was unfortunate in '96. I rolled my ankle. Um, Against Carlton around 17, I was I, I strained all the ligaments and um, actually the ligaments were all severed actually, but they told me they were just strained and I, I ended up playing a final series and, and Dr David Young, who does all the footy players down in Melbourne, he he couldn't believe that I'd played a whole final series with severed um, lateral tendons, but they were just telling me they were strained, so I just kept on jabbing it up with uh, with local, um, and then he had to fix that at the end of. Um, 96 and then 97 was like a, a year that I, you know, obviously it's hard to make a little strain. They probably make you play one or two good years before they put you in. And 97, I reckon I was having probably even a better year, but um, that round 16, I got these, these calf, little calf strains, and I, had, I got compartment syndrome, which I never heard of it. Um, and uh, the, the, doc, the great Dr. Bruce Reed, who the Essendon Club doctor, God rest his soul, you know, he's passed, but he was. Just a beautiful person. I knew him from state footy and all that. He he was the one who diagnosed it. And, um, so I had to I had to miss the, the the last seven games of that '97 year when I was probably 28, 29, and you're in the actual prime of your career. You know, what I mean, like I, I wasn't. I had no anxiety of being tagged. Um, I had this great bloke next to me called Michael Voss that was was setting the world on fire. So they had to work out whether they tag and Lambert or whether they tag and Voss and Probably once after I got past 96, there was majority loss because he became that absolute superstar. Um, so I reckon the quality footy, you know, it was easier because we were playing finals. We'll finish in the top, 
you know, top two or six in the competition. Um, that's why it's a bit frustrating that after 97, you know, the body did start to fail and um, even though I had some reasonable games in 99, um, you know, that old body of mine that got punished from, um, for, for 10, 15 years, it just started to break down. But if I had to say the best footy, I'd, I'd say, you know, that, that 94, 95, 96, 97, Mate, there's some absolute superstars in the competition in the midfield in the 90s. And that's my favorite era. And I just love, you know, the Bradleys and the Williams and the Buddha Hockings and the Lamberts and all these guns that were running through. Who did you love playing against the most? And you spoke about Anthony Stevens before. Is there any others besides Steve that you loved running against each week, um, you know, when you were playing in that midfield for either the Tigers or the Lions? Yeah, well, man, I, I mean, Buddha and I used to have some great. Unbelievable matchups, you know, like because it was, you know, when, when you're playing Buddha, you know, there it, it, it wasn't a real big tag. It was like it just it was a bit of a shootout, right? So, um, so he was just an incredible player, tough. You know, he he'd jump on your head and he'd do he'd do anything. He'd nearly kill you on a footy field, not like Steve, but then after the game, he'd hug you and you sort of because there's a lot of respect for each other. Yeah. Um, Brett Ratton was another one I used to love playing against. You know, Rats and I used to. Now, Rex used to come and take the game. You know, you'd, 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 one second he'd be trying to actually kill you, you know, like, and the other one, he'd make this magnificent handball and he'd go, shit, man, that was one of the great handballs I've seen. So he'd commentate to you, right? Um, I used to love playing against Fraser Brown. You know, he's such a character. You know, I still see Brandy every now and then in Melbourne. Um, you know, I had a really good run on Libba. You know, Libba, Libba probably over about a six, seven-year period. You know, everyone matches up differently. Um, you know, if I look at the guys that probably troubled me, it was Dwayne Lamb, uh, Fatty Lamb from from West Coast used to yep. probably have my measure. Um, Sean Denham, two or three years, sort of got me. I got him. Went luckily, our daughter was born in '95, um, and uh, we had the first night game here. And um, you know, you talk about I'm I'm not I'm not Catholic and all that, but um. There was about 36,000 people there and I knew Denham was coming to me. He'd knocked me over the last two years and I had 37. We won by seven goals. And if the game had gone another four quarters, I'd have been quite happy. It was like I was floating on air. Um, <laughs> so I got that one back. But, you know, all those guys, you know, you're right. I mean, I occasionally run on Craig Bradley and, and, and Robert Harvey, which probably weren't my type because I was so elite runners. Um you know, but but to be able to play, you know, with some of the greats, you know, to be able to say that I'm an all Australian, you know, and um, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, in regards to that contested footy and clearance work, you know, I, you know, at that stage through my through my absolute best, I, I, I didn't have too many worries about playing anyone in the competition. Um, so yeah, they were pretty good times. I just wish the body had held up a little bit better in the back end. Mate, you played under John Northey twice during your career for one season at the Tigers and three seasons at the the Bears slash Lions. I don't reckon there'd be too many players that have played in the history of the game where they've played under a coach at one club and then obviously played under him again at another club. You know, what was that, what was that like? What were your thoughts when Swooper was obviously, um, and I guess it was a direct swap back then with uh, Robert Walls, you know, Walls, he went to Richmond and then Swooper come up to Brisbane. Well, it was, it was fine, but... The Swoop was in charge when I, when they tried to trade me. Um, so he was he was a coach then, but I, but I don't know how much input he had. Um, you know, when, when when John got to, to Brisbane, I was geez, I was uh, I was at 26, 26, I was pretty mature. I was in the prime of my career, and you know, John was a you know, I was a really motivational coach. You know, it was always us against the rest and all that. Um, um, so I never really had. Too many issues. I mean, I just really, you know, people who know me really well know that, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I mean, I, I love the Richmond Football Club. Now that I'm not involved with any football club, you know, but I was really hurt um, by what had happened because, unfortunately, the media get involved and, and you know, and the, the Richmond Army are the greatest supporters I've ever seen in my life, right? And, and obviously for me to put a, a, a bigger price on my head, you know, when I got, when, when Brisbane Bears picked me up, if you were a supporter and the way it was prescribed in the media, you would have thought that I've left the money. Yeah. Right. So, so well, I never held any grudge against the Richmond, Richmond supporters because if I was a supporter, it looked that way. And that that always irked me a little bit because, I mean, I, I love talking to Richmond people and the passion they've got. And I tell them the story that, 
you know, if, if the club hadn't tried to trade me, I would have played there for 13, 14 years. I mean, you know, I started something, you know, and I'm still mates with NIDA and Freezer and these sort of guys and Jeff Hogg. But obviously when I got to Brisbane, you know, I am a competitive, I am a competitive person. And everything I did was trying to make Richmond look like that was the worst decision they had ever made in their life. And I was going to be this unbelievable player and win multiple BNFs and hopefully some premierships. Only problem is that I, my great mate Lee Matthews wound me up in the end of 2000 when I had one year left and uh, <laughs> said, I think he'd be better for me as a coach. Um, so I, I missed out on that three peat. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I was there as an assistant coach looking after midfield, which everyone says that everyone, anyone in the world could have done. Mate, nice segue into that question. As I said, I was going to say, you finished at 2000, but then you jumped on the coaching bandwagon and you're part of the, the three-peat premiership. Um, what a time for the club. And um, it would have been satisfying, mate, even though you would have loved to have been playing and, and getting that success as a player. But just equally as a coach, that would have been pretty satisfying for those next three seasons. And even four, when you played in that grand final against the power as well. Yeah. No, it was a pretty special period for the club, you know, to be able to see build. Obviously, through that Brisbane Bears and Wolsey was a part of that. Obviously, you know, you talk to some of the Brisbane Bears, people like Vossi and Nigel Lappins and Chris Scotts and Justin Leppages. And there was a real middle part where, you know, and John Worley was a part of that, where they really sort of worked the players, these young guys, hard. But then we were lucky enough to get someone like Lee Matthews, you know, and, and Gabby Allen came as a GM of footy um, and really just straightened the whole club up. And um, to be, you know, I mean, Lee doesn't beat around the bush. He's, He's a great mate of mine. I'd probably catch up with him every two or three weeks here in Brisbane. And he, he just said that, you know, you know, your body's failing you. We'll, we'll never retire Craig Lambert. He's done too much for the footy club. But I truly believe that you can be better for me in a coaching capacity with your relationship building, the rapport, and how you, you can see how players feel and all that. He said that's not something that's natural to me. Um, and then he gave me the reins um, to arguably probably the one of the best midfields the game's ever seen. And, you know, it, although, you know, a lot of people try and take the piss out of me about how hard was it, um, let's face it, you know, you, they, they were elite players, right? But, but you still have to make them all work together and make sure they're all playing their roles because if you've got three or four players all hunting the footy up, well, that doesn't work. So, um, you know, I, I remember Jason Dunstall, um it was a Friday night game, might have been an 03 when we were going for the third. And, you know, Jace is a bit of a character and he said, now, now, Lambo, run our viewers through the stress you must go through every Friday, Saturday night about looking after Voss, Lappin, Black, Ackermanis, Power, Keating, Sean Hart as you run with Brad Scott, like taking the piss out of me. And I said, well, no, no Jason, you, you're 100% right. They're a, they're, a, they're a talented group. But to be, you've got to be able to win grand finals because there's plenty of talented groups that might win one, but they don't win two, they don't win three. And you've got to get them to play for each other and work together. And, and hopefully through my playing career and, and my coaching, but I was able to help in that department. Um, but to learn of someone like Lee Matthews, I mean, he was just extraordinary how he could sort of calm all the situations. And he was always at his best when it came around the finals. Coaching and welfare was a big part of your life post-footy. And obviously, you know, the work that you've done with GWS and also Brisbane and so forth with list and retention, but also welfare, player welfare. What brought you the most joy with those positions? What's the thing that sort of brought the most joy out of those, that time, whether it was at the Giants and the Lions? Oh, well, I just think that it's, um, you know, like, I'm, I'm a proud Victorian, um, but, you know, you know, the AFL, um, and, and um, you know, Andrew Dillon, who's just been, you know, just got, you couldn't get a better person if you ask me. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Dillon's just a, a great human being, and I think he'd be a fantastic CEO. But I still don't believe the AFL and Victorians truly understand how hard it is for the Northern States. I, I really, I really don't. Now they all, they, they don't understand that. Yet we we travel eleven times a year, right? The eighty percent of the list is not homegrown, and there's always that pull to come back. And especially we're talking about GWS Giants, which was you know the eighteenth franchise, and you know, they might be playing in front of twelve, fourteen thousand people, right? And you know the, all their mates have gone to Collingwood or Richmond or Essendon or wherever. They're, they're playing in front of seventy, eighty thousand people at the G. So I truly don't believe that 
you know, people down south, the Victorians, really understand how hard it is to retain top-end talent. And for me it was like I always as a player was, you know, if a player was willing to commit to our values and make us better, I didn't care if he was a pick one or whether he's a rookie. I was going to stay on on the park or watch tape with him all night to try and help him better. I, I couldn't say no. I just I think I get that off my mum actually, right? <laughs> um, and then I went into the welfare retention. I was lucky enough to go in with my wife Melissa, you know, and, and our house was like a halfway house, especially at Chedderbush Giants. I mean, we would have anywhere from eight to twelve people there most nights, you know, because early on we weren't winning. Um, you know, we were based out at Rudy Hilara Soul Club. We didn't have our own facilities. Um, well, I kept on hearing, you know, you know Eddie McGuire, and I, I, I get along with Eddie really well, but I kept on remembering him saying, give the Giants every pick in the draft for the next five years and eventually we'll get them back. Yeah, and that was, that was a little bit of the arrogance of, of, of the Victorians is that no one's going to want to stay at GWS Giants. They're all going to want to come back, right? And for me, I took that as a bit of a challenge to say, well, wait a minute, I think if we can do it, we did it at Brisbane, we built an environment that players, we, we couldn't get rid of players at one stage. You know, in 2003 when there was a talk about do we try and offload some players so we don't dip, you know, no one wanted to leave that environment, right? Yeah. So I knew it could be done because it was done at Brisbane. So I feel really proud of what we did at GWS Giants, especially in those early days, to be able to, for a club like the Giants to be able to get to a grand final, I think after the sixth or seventh year of their existence, and obviously the Tigers gave an absolute whooping, right? But for for, for for the Giants to get, you know, make numerous prelims and all that, I think as a startup to to be able to be a part of that with other people at the club that were really important, um, you know, it was really rewarding. And um, you know, I wish the Giants all the best, like I do with the Tigers and like I do with the Lions, but. Player welfare and retention in the northern states. I think, I think the AFL truly have to have a look at how they can help support it because it, it is a lot harder than what people think it is. In your welfare role, is there one youngster that stands out from the rest, from when they started to where they are now? Just how much they've grown and and the role that you've sort of played with, you know, and maybe that might be the Giants where you've had that chance because you had a lot of great young talent. Is there one that's, you know, maybe in a really raw when they first come up to the GWS, but you look at them now and you think, geez, what a great player they are and how well they've gone, you know, with their career? Well, there's probably one that sort of stands out. He, he probably aged, I know I'm looking a lot older than what I am. He probably <laughs> aged me by about 15 years and that's probably Toby Green. I mean, not, not that I ever thought that Toby wouldn't be a really good player. He just was just a, a really tough combative and he was a, one of the hardest trainers. He was up there with Black and Voss and John Brown in regards to just fanatical trainers. But he was he was really private. And, uh, you know, everyone knows about his journey in regards to you know, what he went through. Um, you know, and, and, and he was probably the hardest person for me to get his trust out of probably anyone really. And um, I remember... It took me six months to, to get a hold of Toby. Normally, normally not sounding too cocky, but within one to three months, I'll make sure that you know the player, the family, um, the uncles and aunties. You know, we we had a philosophy with Melissa and I, and today we do it at BMD Group. Is that we don't draft a player, we draft a family, and but you've got to live those values. Mm. So. I normally, within about one to three months, we can be really close to the families and the player. And within one the one year, we'd normally get him for that extra two-year contract. Toby Toby made me fight for, for about eight months, you know, and, and I'd be talking to him and, and he just would, he'd sort of, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't look in the eye. And I remember thinking to myself, I was talking to Melissa, and I said, how do I, how do I reach this kid? You know, he's... You know, I think he can be a really good player, but he's just giving me nothing. And I'm, and I'm trying every trick in the book, right? And I, um, and I remember going, I, he was on a stationary bike once with another player and I just went up to him and, I, and he was sort of looking down. I said, Toby, I just want to make it crystal clear that myself and my wife have done everything possible to try and support you, to say we're here for you. Um, if you feel that you can make AFL without having any support around you, especially being away from home, 
Um, you've got a long road ahead, so I'm going to leave it with you and I'm not, I'm not doing one more thing with you at all. I'm not trying to engage with you again. I'll leave it with you. Um, six hours later, because I was about 10 in the, in the morning, I get a text from Toby Green, Lambo, it's Toby here. Any chance I can come around for some dinner? We, we sat there and we spoke for about eight hours. I think he left about two o'clock and... Um, about everything, his whole life, his upbringing, you know, he's got a beautiful mum, Kate, who's a star. Um, and, you know, just to gradually see that player become the leader that he is and, you know, you know a lot of people, you know, you look at him now and everyone speaks about him, you know, as obviously he's owned, owned all his indiscretions. You know, one thing I loved about Toby was that when he made a blue early on and he made a few, don't worry about that, was he always put his hand up and he didn't look to blame anyone else. and. Um, but over the last four or five years, to see that the public recognise him, not just as a footy player that he is, but, you know, you talk to the Giants, you know, sanctum and players about how they care about Toby Green, and that's why I, was not, I wasn't surprised they beat you along on the weekend because I knew they'd die trying to get him to win. He's probably the one that sort of, you know, that whole journey to getting, you know, past, you know, those first two, three, four years where you could sort of, you can go either way, you know, not a lot of people will know this, but I mean, I, after his second year, I hooked him up with Simon Black, you know, because I knew he needed a mentor of someone who just finished the game. So Black, not many people know, but Simon Black and, and um, Toby, whenever Toby plays here in Brisbane, he stays back at Blackie's for one or two nights. And so they're very, very close, but not many people would know that. And, um, yeah, he's, he's the one that sort of, he was like the Rubik's Cube, sort of. He had to try every little trick <laughs> you had in the book and um, to see what he's become, uh, you know, like a lot of players. I mean, I've, I've been blessed with my wife and I and hopefully, you know, the the recognition that we get from them and their families for the support we show them as 18, 19, 20-year-olds is unbelievably rewarding. Um, I said before that we're really happy to be out of footy because we're in an age now where, we need to worry about our family. You know, we've got four kids of our own. We've got a grandchild. And it's time to actually take stock because we're, we're the type of family that if we're in the game, we're doing 120, 140 hours a week. Um, and at my age, I think it's time to sort of hand the baton over to someone else to see if they can get the best out of players. Chisholm again. Went defensively and lost it. Lambert off the left boot. Not a bad kick. He's kicked the goal. Lambo, I've loved the chat, mate. I could sit and talk footy with you for hours, mate. I'd love to come up to Brisbane and have a couple of beers with you and talk footy, mate. That's for sure. I'm going to give you a couple of quick handballs. Um, so okay. these are just some quick, short responses just to finish off our great chat. Um, I'm going to give you four teammates that you played with, both a couple at the Tigers and a couple of at uh, Brisbane. I just want a couple of words just to share, you know, your, your um, I guess, relationship and just give us a bit of an insight of what these guys were like. So... The first one, you've spoken about him a little bit in the podcast, Tony Free. Uh, probably the toughest player, you know, I've, I've played with. Um, played on the nine ends with him. Um, watched him play on guys like Dacos and some superstars of the competition and absolutely just get him every single time. You know, just the, one of the fiercest competitors I've ever seen. Really loyal person, Freezer. Um, you know, uh, him and I became great mates through under 19s, and he was a country boy from Lulbert. And, you know, I'm a dandy, I was a city boy. And, you know, early on, there was a bit of friction between the country and the city, but, <laughs> you know, we became unbelievably close. But Freezer just, you want to talk about a guy that you play, you know, if you had to play for your life, he'd be, he'd be in the top one or two you'd pick every day of the week. Matthew Knights. Oh, Nida. He, um, old, yeah, you know, Nida was. Yeah, Nida was just an incredible player, you know, poetry in motion, um, you know, a really hard trainer, you know, I class him as a really close friend, even though we don't talk as much as what we probably would like, but just just a guy that could see the game so crystal clear and, you know, a little bit like Simon Black could, could, and, and, and Pendrelby could make the game look slow, which, you know, is very hard for people to do and, you um, you know, he, he, he was just a gun and, um, and, and quite, quite a cheeky little bastard too. You know, everyone, everyone thinks butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, but he was quite a cheeky little bastard and used to, used to try and wind me up a little bit. But, um, yeah, but just poetry in motion. One bloke I used to love watching at the Brisbane Bears, I reckon he was pretty underrated for mine, that was Matthew Kennedy. Yeah, Maxie, yeah, loyal and dependable. 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, again, you know, a little bit of the Tony Free sort of stash in regards to, you know, Maxi would be one of those guys who'd probably say, you know, he's lucky to play as many games as what he did, but he wasn't because, you know, he was a hard trainer, super committed to his teammates, um, great clubman, incredible clubman, um, loved by all, uh, probably one of the nervous, um, I was really bad with anxiety and nerves. He, he made me look chilled out, really, Maxi. Um, I remember some of the uh, Robert Walls reviews we used to do and. Uh, Wallsy was quite brutal with his reviews, with his um, with the VCRs. He used to rewind any person that ever pulled out of a contest. He didn't just say it once; he saw it three times, right? <laughs> so, so and Maxi was a tough player. So he, I think everyone's pulled out at some stage. I don't believe even the Glen Archers and all that award. But but Maxi used to, for some reason, get himself that worked up before those reviews. And he thought that he was going to be on the tape. Nice to calm him down. So Maxi. Mate, you didn't pull that out in the weekend, mate. You'd be fine. He goes, nah. He goes, nah. I'm sure he's got me on one of them. So, uh, yeah, dependable, loyal, great clubman, incredibly stressed, but made me look like a chilled, chilled individual. <laughs> and the last one is Marcus Ashcroft. Um, and we obviously see his son, Will, doing some great things at the Lions at the moment. But, you know, he's a bloke that I can remember, you know, being that real youngster running through Brisbane. And he's just, he felt like he was at Brisbane for, for such a long time, which he was. Yeah, Choppers was, you know, consummate professional, um, unbelievable skills. And, you know, him and I had this great relationship. Obviously, I was the inside mid. You know, we had Matthew Clark, who was probably the best tap ruckman I've, I've seen in my time. And, um, you know, through that period, and, you know, funny story with myself and Choppers is, um, is that obviously he was my release guy, right? So I, I needed him to get the space because you win it off hands and, You've got about a half a second. You've got someone on you. So him and I used to have some great um, words to each other because if he wasn't in any spot and I had to be forced to kick it, I used to actually go off my nut and say, Choppers, if you're not there next time, man, I'll knock you out. <laughs> because yeah, role was obviously Kemp, um, Matty Clark and myself had this great chemistry, you know, with the Ruck Rover thing, but, Marcus with his beautiful foot skills, you know, you know great timing. Um, so we had a really good relationship in regards to that combination. But Choppers was just a, the consummate professional, looked after himself, you know. Back in the days when a lot of us probably were a little bit loose and probably have late nights and get home at four or five, even though it was only once once a week, Marcus would be icing himself up and really went out for a drink and all that. So really looked after himself. But an outstanding player and, you know, three-time premiership player and he's, geez, his son looks like he could be even better, which is uh, quite scary. Who is the best character you come across in your time, Lambo? And you've come across and you've spoken about how a lot of guys that you've been very close with, but who is the one that you just love having a beer with and you can have that bit of banter with as well, you know, off the field? Well, he's, a, he's, a, um, he's a Richmond 100 gamer and he's, he's probably the loosest lunatic um, he used to wear, I think he was 54 and I was 53 before they gave me number four, but it was uh, the great Brian Lees, um, who I speak to Leesy all the time. He's, the, the funny story about Brian is that um, obviously when we were we were only 18, 19, and Leesy came from Hawthorne under 19s and obviously started in 88 with me, but um, when we were about to have our first child, we knew it was going to be a girl, and um, I think my wife wanted to call. Britney or something like that, and um, Leesy with his charismatic, and he calls himself Grange Leesy because he reckons he gets better with age, right? Um, age. And Leesy said, mate, you got, you got the wrong name. I said, what do you know about? He goes, well, mate, it's, I, I think it's my kid anyway, Lambert. He said, so he said, you should call it Briley after Brian Lees. I'd, I'd never heard of Briley before, so I went back and told Melissa, and she loved the name and I loved the name. Um, so our first child's name after Brian Lees, who he believes he's the father. Um, <laughs> but he's, in, he's in Adelaide now, but Lees is the type of guy where you, I don't see him enough these days, but you, when you hook up with him, it's like it was yesterday. You know, we're taking the piss out of each other. Now, him and I both probably had to do it really tough to get to where we got to, you know, and, um, but he's such a charismatic person, you know. He's just a uh, great storyteller and, um, you know, I've got probably another... 15, 20 I could talk about. If you had to ask me one, 
It's lazy because he just cracks me up. But he just, he just, he's 50, what is he now, 55, I reckon now, lazy. And, mate, he's he's in Adelaide with that sort of, he's got the dirty strut, you know, he struts, he's got the chest out. You know, <laughs> you know, I still reckon, I don't know, I, yeah, the, the, the Grange, he's, whenever I was talking, he says, like, don't call me lazy, call me Grange. Right? Because I told you I'm, I'm looking that good at the moment. It's, it's scary. Uh, yeah, lazy is the one. Craig Lambert, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk footy with you, mate. Really appreciate you making some time to chat to us on the podcast. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, Trent. Um, yeah, if you want to do uh, chat until we might do that next year or something, huh? Goes short. Look at that Lambert alone. Got the Lambert walk, Lambert alone. Eight kicks, 15 hand passes. Let's see what Craig Lambert can do. Runs round the man on the mark. 40 metres out and he bangs another nail in the Collingwood That's the end of episode number 72. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio and Amazon Music. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you would love to hear. Next week, our guest is former Bomber, Docker and Saints midfielder, Tony Delaney. It's tough, it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.